Heart-Centered Sales Leader Podcast, your one-stop shop for building client relationships, scaling your business, and ultimately growing your income. When you are looking for your next step in personal and financial growth, we've got you covered. With your host, number one international best-selling author and heart-centered sales expert, Connie Whitman. Welcome to the Heart-Centered Sales Leader Podcast on webtalkradio.net. I'm your Heart-Centered Sales Leader, Connie Whitman, and I'm also your host for today. Now, I hope as you listen to the show, a couple of things, that you feel my passion, because I am extremely passionate, about helping you change your perspective. And for me, it's on that word sales. So I'm starting a movement. Everybody thinks the word sales is this icky, sleazy, pushy thing. And for me, you know, in my 38-year career, sales has always been one of care, love, and respect. And we need to shift our perspective um, so that we are able to help our clients just at such a high, high level. And I hope the show, uh, by taking the little changes that my guests and I tip strategies and ideas, those little, those little pieces of, or nuggets of info or intel, that you can apply them to your life and increase your client uh, relationships, increase your business, scale your business, whatever it is. And at the end of the day, I hope my guests and I inspire you um, to change whatever it is in your life that you are looking to get better at. Now, if you're loving the show and you're loving me, which I hope you are, I really wish you would go on Apple Podcasts or YouTube, however you uh, watch or listen to the show. Please rate, review, subscribe, download, and share with your peeps. I do read the reviews, and they make me feel so good and loved and warm, and I I, uh, hope you continue to rate, review, and watch and listen to the show. So my quote today, of course, I have to start with my motivational quote so we get our minds in the zone of our conversation today, is by Benjamin Disraeli. And Benjamin says, the greatest good you can do for another is not just to share your riches, but to reveal to him his own. Now, a Gallup poll in 2016, 70% of people surveyed said that they hated their job. 80% of them said that they hated their job because they hated their boss. Now, if you're a leader within an organization, where do you think your direct reports would fall if you polled them? Within that 70% or the 30% of loving you and the job? It's a good, good question to think about. So today, I have an amazing uh, person, amazing guest, Dan Savage. Now, jo- Dan joined the State Bank of Cross Plains in 1999 and is responsible for its wealth management and financial advisory divisions. With extensive wealth management experience dating back to 1989, Dan is intimately involved with all facets of SBCP's business, including Uh, but not limited to investment management, financial planning, business development, trust administration, and working closely with a broad cross-section of valued clients. Now, after graduating from Marquette University, Dan went on to receive his master's uh, from the MBA from the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater. To further his education, Dan graduated from the American Bankers Association National Trust School and National Graduate School. My goodness gracious, he is a wealth of information. He also participated in a variety of different additional advanced educational programs and continues to do so today. So Dan is a lifelong learner. He is my guest, and I am honored to have him on. So, Dan, thanks so much for being on the show and sharing your wisdom with my peeps. Thank you for this opportunity, Connie. Yeah, so so Dan, now you know, last week or a month or so ago, I recorded a show with Dawn. 
uh, Malarney, and I highly recommend everyone go back and listen to that show. She's a dynamo, amazing, and a brilliant young lady. We discuss the importance um, of being an avid connector, which she is just a genius at, um, you know, doing that networking, connecting. This week, I want to continue my discussion with you, Dan, about the importance of leadership and mentorship. And uh, when Dawn and I recorded, Dan, we were giggling because I said, he's a renaissance man. Everybody needs to, he's like the, he should be the avatar for leadership, anything that is leadership driven and mentor. So I'm real excited about our conversation because I truly believe that more corporations especially, um, but any business needs a leader like you. So um, thank you for being you and uh, for sharing Dawn with me. (laughs) My pleasure. I know, right? So I want to take a step back. You had uh, originally, after graduating, you worked for a family business. It was a vending business. Then you got into banking. And uh, so my question is, what leadership skills did you learn or, or find most useful from either venue, either the vending or the banking? Well, I, I, I think I think from a, a leadership standpoint, uh, starting off in our vending business, I probably learned some things not to do. I loved my father very, very much. But he was very autocratic uh, with employees, and um, to the extent that they tried to unionize our business uh, three times, and all three times we had to spend lots of money uh, trying to combat that, and in one case to you know to get them decertified, and a, a lot of it was just. I mean, he was a very good person and very generous, would help anybody in need, but he had a need to, it had to be his way, his idea. And I, that led him to take a very hard, you know, hard tone and, and to not listen to people and let them make suggestions. There's only one way to do something the right way. And so I watched, I observed what was going on there and just uh, decided that behaving in the opposite direction would probably be far more productive and to be respectful of people and let them take their ideas and run, particularly as long as they weren't harmful or destructive ideas. Uh, And uh, so that's kind of probably how that started. The biggest impact. It's fascinating. I think that we learn obviously a lot from our successes but I think when we look at other people and truly kind of step back and observe how they're handling situations and look with that learning perspective which clearly you're a lifelong learner so you every I, I believe right I don't know you well but that when you look at those situations that you take that step back and observe and think wow I would have done that differently so it's mm-hmm. it's good to learn not only from what people are doing successfully but when people are doing things really bad <laughs> so yeah. Yes. Um, yeah you want to learn and implement hopefully a better uh, way to do it and I, I just want to comment you said listen it's interesting, humans, and I don't know if you know the statistic, but humans, they, the recent uh, surveys say that we're down to about six seconds of listening skills or attention span. Ah, and this, okay. I know this is the funnier piece. Somebody recently told me that it's either a guppy or a goldfish, I'm not sure, has a seven-second te- seven attention span. So what does that say about us? So listening, when you say that, Dan, that's not an easy skill, and, and I think most people 
opt out of listening. We take turns as humans talking at each other. So mm-hmm. what a great lesson to learn as a young man when, you know, when you were in the vending business and, and observed your, your dad. So great job with that. Again, not an easy skill. So, so kudos to you. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Now, how do you monitor the performance of the people that you lead? Like, do you have metrics in place? Are you, um, like analytics driven? Are you hands on? Are you a micromanager? Like, how do you lead? Can you give us an essence of that? Well, I'm definitely not a micromanager. Um, it, you know, is, this isn't going to be a surprise to you, but the bank uh, has an overall strategic plan. But many years ago, very shortly after I arrived here, we began constructing a business plan for the wealth management and financial advisory divisions. So we identify four, five, six key goals that we want to achieve uh, during a given uh, calendar year. And, you know, things like growth and enhanced profitability, client retention and strong relationship management, staff development, compliance being that we're a bank, that that's always important. Sure. But that business plan is very detailed. It is, um, think of it as at a lower altitude than the bank's strategic plan. It's designed to support the overarching goals of the bank's strategic plan. And then for many of the employees in the department, they have individual personal business plans that in turn support that. So we, they, people who are involved in business development have sales goals. Um, and probably more important, um, you know, calling goals in terms of making contact with with clients, with prospects. Um, We are practitioners of the 80-20 rule. Uh, We don't believe that all customers are created equal. They're all valuable. Uh, We want we want to keep all of them, but we don't want to spend um, the majority of our time on an account that's very small and doesn't have potential for growth. And, and um, rather than equality, we try to focus on equity. We try to you know, give the appropriate amount of attention so that every client is being properly served. So it's, it's a variety of things. I mean, I keep track of those things. It's, it's a little easier than it used to be many years ago because the results have been so strong. So Don, for example, um, you know, has done a great job. In, and I mentioned to you earlier before the podcast started that um, about 40% of our business comes from estate planning attorneys in Dane County. And so they're not the end user, but they are clearly an influencer of that eventual end user. And Don has just become a master at cultivating and and perfecting how we establish and maintain those relationships. So by far and away, she's the most capable person in the department, in the division, uh, for doing that, uh, bar none. And, and it's funny because it's, I, she's a heart-centered sales leader, in my opinion. The moment I met her at a net, we were doing Zoom networking, right? I'm in Jersey. Um, you, you know, you guys are out in the Midwest. And um, we hit it off. We were like two peas in a pod. But philosophically, her approach to sales, that ugly word, Dan, really <laughs> is one of heart and heart, love and that, that care approach. And, you know, as she and I were speaking, I, I said, I don't get why people... Um, 
they feel like they have to uh, be tough with the customer to make the sale. And, and she and I, I think, believe philosophically that when you have those great centers of influence, those referral resources, mm-hmm. and you really build that trust with them that they know you're the go-to person that could help support their client, right, to make them look good, you're, you're leveraging, and I mean that in a good way, those relationships yes. that the, biz, the right business comes in because you're, you're establishing yourself as that expert that's needed in the equation. And yet people think that cold calling works or, or what, you know, whatever, which is so outdated and ridiculous. But if you could create that inner circle of, of great connections and nurture it that you help each other. It's not just, hey, give me referrals. It's let me give you referrals first, right? Let me nurture that. Um, the results are outstanding. And yet people are afraid to network. Like I, I, I shake my head, Dan. It, ah, like that's where you need to start. And she's such a great, uh, great connector and articulates well. But I do want to share with you, uh, Dan, she shared that you help her a lot in building those skills. So she's great at what she does, but I think you're also an excellent teacher um, to see her ability and then help her scale it and leverage it and expose her and all of those things. So, you know, it, it mentoring, I think, is, is it also an important component when we, we look within organizations personally. Well, yeah, I, I thank you, and I, you know, I agree with you. And and one of the one of the neat things about Dawn is that she's a self starter. So early on in her tenure here, we were <clears throat> we were hosting a pretty large event, and and of course you can send out invitations via mail or email, and people don't respond and stuff. So typically, I would be on the phone, um, you know, calling up attorneys or various other invitees and reminding them, and hey, do you want to come? and sign up and it was time to go to lunch and I left and so Dawn asked another trust officer she said well I've been listening to those conversations do you think he would care if I started calling those attorneys and she said oh I I doubt that he'd care and by the time I came back she had almost 30 new uh, attendees signed up to come and from there you know her confidence was building and one day she you know she had gone with me on a few lunches uh, when we would take attorneys out to lunch and and she said well I think I'm ready to start calling them on my own and uh, do you care and I said no I I, I don't care at all so uh, and she's been immensely um, successful pre-COVID and during COVID um, it's fascinating when you empower people and have confidence in them that their confidence builds and then they could go and run with things. She is a self-starter. I mean, she's, she's truly an amazing uh, young lady. Uh, fascinating that, you know, you're on lunch and she's like, I could do this. And, and here's the other thing for me with that, with my takeaway with that story as well is, see, intuitively, I believe she understands the importance of that hands-on uh, touch versus email. We're so used to doing emails. Right. We have to reach out on the phone. We have to, you know, reach out now. Obviously, Zoom is such a wonderful tool for us to stay connected visually with our clients, which I think is important too, because you feel my body language, you feel my energy, and, and certainly we want our clients and our centers of influence to feel that as well. So she, you know, she did not miss a step with that 
um, see again, it goes back to that loving energy of care of how can mm-hmm. I support you? This is the next thing we're doing. You know, please come. We, you know, we want to include you. So picking up the phone, everybody gets so nervous with it. Um, activity is important, but the quality of the activity is exponentially important. So, you know, you good for you that you were able to empower her. Yeah, and, and it's, you know, salespeople often forget that they need to make it about the customer Always. or the prospect, not about themselves or their or their company. And Don just inherently, intuitively understood that from the beginning. And whether it was an in-person meeting or I don't know if she shared with you that after COVID hit, most of the attorneys in Dane County for a long time weren't going into the office. They were home. And she started calling them via Zoom. And she's typically is having anywhere from four to seven Zoom meetings a day. And her strategy was she would just call up and, you know, how are you doing personally? How are you feeling? How is this impacting your business? She didn't talk about wealth management issues. She didn't talk about us possibly being a trustee for their clients. She talked about them. And, you know, invariably, a couple of weeks later, a month later, a letter arrives that, hey, I met with the Smiths or the Joneses, and they've named you, you know, the, the attorneys that she speaks to. So it's, you know, it's um, fascinating. It's it fascinating. fascinating. And it's funny, Dan, I, I COVID hit like everybody else. I thought, oh, like, what do I do next? And I'm high energy on the energizer battery so i had a book on the shelf my kids were little when i had started it and it just timing was off i I couldn't put the time into it because i'm a mom first you know and Mm -hmm. so i i had this kind of book and i thought i need to dust it off and and bring it to to market and it's my signature seven step sales process what what i how i've been successful 30 years anyway so i published the book it hits international best-selling woohoo yay connie but this is the reason i'm telling you this the first line or the first chapter in my book is called love and the first sentence of the book dan says if you're not selling from a place of love you're doing it wrong and then my next sentence is you're saying connie whitman who are you and you're like a weirdo (laughs) but i'm not and that she is living proof of that intuitive way to approach people People want to connect. We're humans. We like other humans. We need them in our tribes. And when you show that you're coming from this place of care and it's about the person, it's not about you, you win right out of the gate because, um, and I don't know if you've been getting this on LinkedIn and I don't know who's teaching it. It's bad. You get, hey, I'd love to connect with you. I see we see, you know, we, we, we seem to know a lot of the same people. And I think, oh, yeah, I do. Okay, nice. I accept. And then I have nine paragraphs with the link. Set, a, set up a call so I could sell you my wares. And I respond back, no, thank you. And I put them on ignore. That horrifies me. That's not building a relationship. That's let's, let's throw enough things against the wall, spaghetti against the wall, and see what's, what sticks. Are you finding that um, with your business? I've seen some of that, yeah, on, on LinkedIn, and uh, you know, it's—I hate to say it, but it seems to be sometimes migrating towards being an advertising platform, you know, for people instead of, you know, its true intended purpose to make meaningful connections. Connections, but, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, no. I put them on ignore immediately, Dan, because here's why: philosophically. 
that says to me immediately, not my not my kind of people. You are absolutely the kind of person I won't do business with, and I won't ever send a client to you. Right. Uh, you're just too um, in the face, right? I'm yeah. aggressive. I said this before we started. I'm aggressive, but I do it respectfully, never from a, a point of view of being a jerk. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, no, you might not even be aggressive. You just might be very proactive. I, so hmm, I like that even better, Dan. Thank you. Yeah, yeah you're welcome. <laughs> Next question: How do you motivate your uh, sales and business development team, or do you think they do it on their own? I'm curious. Well, you know, many of them do it on their own, but um, there are, you know, financial incentives. So when someone makes a sale, uh, they, you know, we, let's just say somebody brings in uh, a $1 million account. And let's say the fee is $10,000, it was 1% or $10,000 annually. As soon as those assets book on, that employee gets 35% of the equivalent of the first year's fee, and they get it right away. Um, So they get $3,500 deposited to their, you know, on their next paycheck. Um, So there, you know, there are financial um, incentives, but I'm probably lucky in the sense that a lot of the people I work with uh, are are self-motivated in terms of wanting to do a quality job and do what's right. And, and, you know, examples of that is we have a lot of teaming up in the department. So Don might team up with a portfolio manager to, you know, help make that sale. And even though she's the person who brought that person into the fold, so to speak, she'll split that sales incentive with the portfolio manager so that he or she is maybe getting half or 40 depending on the work that was involved but we have several people in the in the in the two divisions that are more than willing to do that so i think i just got lucky and uh ended up with a a good group of people to work with who care about other people in general so i um you know they take pride in their work but financial incentives you know don't they don't hurt and uh we do have goals that they're expected to you know to try to achieve and sometimes that's tough not everyone is hitting their goals this year because of covid and uh, but some are exceeding them and you know don being one of them it's fascinating So. Uh, so i'm fascinated by you again because you use the word lucky Here's my definition of luck, Dan. Uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I think, yes, of course, there's always an element of luck that hopefully we're all exposed to. But for me, I think luck finds you when you're exhibiting those skills and opening your arms and heart to what's possible versus that lack mentality of um, you need to make more sales, right? And But you don't ever mentor or guide someone how to do it. There are a lot of bad managers out there, Dan. I mean, you know that, right? I'm, not, I'm preaching right. to the choir right. here. So I think that when you open yourself and you empower people like you do and don't micromanage, guide them, mentor them, teach them, have them become eager learners, all of those pieces of the puzzle, I think that's where the magic happens and that's when luck luck if you will find you because i think you're actually finding the right people that philosophically value wise 
they think like you. So you're building out your team from what your expectation is. And you said something earlier when we started that you have the strategic, you know, five-year plan, one to five-year plan with, within your, or your bank, the organization. But then you whittle that down a, a little bit lower to what your division goals are. And then you div- go even lower and have people, the individuals, come up with their business plan. And that's an, that to me is brilliant because it's an opportunity for you to say, hey, Dawn, I love that. Why don't we add this, this, and this? Because you're experienced more than her. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. then you tweak those business plans. So you start and you whittle down. And when you come up with the right plan, the right people, um, based on your your value-driven management style, that's why I think luck finds you. I don't think it's luck at all, personally. I Uh think you've crafted that. Well, perhaps, but you know, and, and then the president of our bank is is of a similar mind, and he's very Wonderful. supportive and empowering of people, and he doesn't micromanage. We get to manage this division as if it's our own business. I mean, but obviously, we're expected to deliver results and of do course. it ethically and legally. But um, by and large, we're allowed to to run this the way we see fit, and and. Um, so we're all very lucky because not not every organization has that kind of leadership, Agreed. you know, in the CEO role. But uh, so we're we appreciate Jim very much. And and kudos to Jim because here's the other thing, Dan. I believe that when you have a culture like you're de- you're describing, it has to start at the top. So when you have someone at the helm who has those values that are cl- really their client first. Mm-hmm. Because when you do put the client first and you hire the right people, your employees are happy because you're supporting who they are naturally, yeah, right? It's yeah. a natural fit and you're allowing them to do that. And oh yeah, by the way, we have to measure results. We have to have sure. goals and, and bench, you know, benchmarks. But again, I think you create your luck. That's, that's my take on that. So kudos to your CEO, but it does, I believe cultures that are that strong and vibrant and, and dynamic and gaining the results and the growth that you share with me before we started that your attrition is down from four to one percent your growth is over ten percent wow again i don't think it's an accident i think that all of the behind the scenes things that you do create that those results on the front end so that's that's my take take on how great you are so there you're not gonna be able you're gonna be able to walk through the door when you get home tonight Because it feels tight. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Tell us how. What does your sales team mean to mean to you personally? And when you're with your centers of influence and clients, obviously you have to bring the team in, right? Because you can't manage all these accounts as well. So, what does your sales team mean to you? And how do you portray them to your clients? I'm just curious. When you say portray them to clients, do you mean uh, prospects? Prospects, yeah. yeah. Well, um, I'm certainly not involved in every sale by any stretch of the imagination. Um, you know, Don and, and Jordan and other folks are fully capable of, you know, of, of not having me participate in those things. In fact, that's been a goal of mine when we were much smaller. Um, uh, we were very small at one point, and and I was the basically the only business development person, and um, 
But as you grow, that's not good for the organization to become dependent upon one person. So I, you know, we sent people through sales training programs and we're still doing that, you know, today, um, but would also take people on joint calls. Um, so a lot of times people team up. We have people who are good prospectors or as they like to call themselves door knockers. We have other people who don't like to prospect, but if you put a prospect in front of them, uh, they are they are almost certainly going to make that sale. And I'm thinking of our senior portfolio manager. If you put a prospect down in front of, of Mark, um, that person is going to become a new customer and probably a very large and profitable one because he has superb listening skills. He recognizes what what's being said and also what's not being said. And he just... He exudes trustworthiness. So people just, the old-fashioned notion of having to close a sale or have some fancy, catchy phrase, if you're listening, if you're communicating well, the sale self-closes uh, almost all the time because people just say, I want to be with this firm. I want to work with this individual. So it's, it's not really me so much anymore. I've turned that over a long time ago to... You know, uh, everybody. It's a shared responsibility, and we have a number of people who are very, very capable. I'm no longer the sales leader in the department, so I like it when someone makes more money than I do for the year because they've done such a great job, and um, we celebrate that when it happens. It's so great, and you know, you lead through people, right? That's that's how that's what good leadership is all about. It's leading through people and making them shine and and finding their voice and them doing their magic out there. And uh, it's funny, um, you know, you mentioned the sales training and my my signature uh, seven step, the sixth step is asking for the business and most people say close the sale. Dan, I break into hives when I hear that because you're not closing the relationship, you're you're fortifying it, you're building it, right? You're, you're rise, raising it up. And so my step is called um, confirming the relationship. <laughs> Wherever you are in the process, it's confirming that next step that that prospect or that COI or wherever it is they want to continue to work with you so it's never about closing a sale that's horrifying to me it is about building that relationship I love it I love that you said that um, totally resonates with me and the other thing the the previous right those skills that build up to when you do present your ideas if you've asked great questions because it's all about the client and you listened really well optional skill hard to develop when you go to present you're so spot on with where that client is that when you do say, what do you think? They're like, how fast can we get this going? Because you've, you've hit them exactly where they needed to be met because you asked the correct questions to hear and understand. And then you listened. And then the presentation is the easy part um, because it's a, it's a direct hit, right? It's a match. Sure. So, yeah, I love that. I love that. Sure. Now, my, my last question, um, we're almost out of time, but you have quite a bit of, of women on your team, which is fascinating. Now, being a male, and really it's a male-dominated industry, especially when I started. It was like me and, you know, 40 other guys um, in the sales team. Right. So what what are your thoughts on that for leaders, current leaders or people who are aspiring to get into those high leadership positions like yourself? Well, I, you know, I think diversity is very important, w without a doubt. And, you know, we're part of a bank, but 
we're kind of strange in that wealth management <laughs> trust people. We're not we're not like a lot of the other employees in the bank. You know, I always tell people a commercial lender. Uh, you know, they'll they'll take your kids as collateral, whereas we're <laughs> we're. <laughs> Trust officers, uh, you know, wealth managers tend to be the the, the warmer, you know, the fuzzier uh, group. But Dane County, Madison, Wisconsin, as you may guess, is very progressive, very liberal. There are, you know, hundreds, if not thousands, of female business owners and professionals in Dane County, and there are people who there are men and women who want to work with a specific gender and I think to have all men on your team is just even from a business standpoint is foolish so I, I will confess to um, when we had a hiring opportunity I I made up my mind that we were going to hire an attorney and it was going to be a female attorney and today if I'm going to say this off the top of my head. I think we actually have more female trust officers than male trust officers. But I, I, to me, I can't understand why you wouldn't why you wouldn't have females in all aspects of the business on the board of directors on the on the executive management team, and they should be adequately represented equally. There are fifty women are fifty three percent of the population. Why would you not? Why would you have five percent of your workforce or your management, you know, team as as female? So, um, and I have a 40, 40 year old daughter who I want to see have equal opportunities throughout her life, and Absolutely. and so I'm probably biased and in that way, but I, that's that's really why, Connie. And it's fascinating too to me because. You know, men and women, damn, we think differently. And I think having opposing views or, or, or different, not opposing views necessarily, but that different perspective on how you see a situation, I think it's vital to making things even better. And I think the decision making becomes better because you're not kind of in a tunnel vision. Does that make sense? You have a, a bigger perspective of, of truly what the situation is that you can weigh in on. So, it, you know, I'm at, and it's funny being a female business owner for 20 years, I'm asked often, oh, are most of your clients women? <laughs> go, no, no. I, I like dudes too, you know? So yeah. I have a blend of men and women because I, I think I, I don't think I would like to only work with women because I love for me, for my own development, you know, my own personal development, when men say something and it's such a foreign thought or a thought that didn't even occur to me, I, I often observe and think, tell me why you thought of that. Like, where did that come from? And oftentimes it's, it's just the guy's perspective versus the female perspective. So I'm fascinated by that because I, I can't think like a man, right? Because I'm a woman. So I love that blending of men and women um, working together, collaborating, etc. Because I think it's dangerous to have a one-dimensional view of things. It's dangerous. Yeah, I I agree. And, and this isn't what I'm going to say isn't very scientific. And so somebody may <laughs> somebody may send you a you know a, an, an email or something. But I think you. <sighs> I find that I have very different conversations with women than men, and I think that's generally true. So if I get to a, you know, a leadership team meeting in the morning and 
people are filtering in when when men come in you know it's like hey did you watch the Packer game did you see that the Brewers won last night it's always about sports when women come in the conversation is totally different and I, I have to say I you know if if somebody said you know you have to have a conversation for the rest of your life only with women or men who would you want to have the conversation with and i'd have to pick women because i think i think the topics are more diverse i think they're deeper i think the conversations are more robust and and i can't prove that and i'm i'm, I'm sure if someone from the bank hears this podcast I'm going to catch some flack for it, but it's what I honestly have observed in my own experience. So, um, you know, I'm, I guess I'm a little biased that way. I love it. And so, Dan, this is what Connie Whitman just heard. <laughs> Women are better than men. <laughs> no, well, no, I'm so teasing. They, I did not mean bring that. bring an added dimension that I think yeah. is really important but I th- every relationship. See, but I think because you're a man that you feel that way. And I think if we asked women that same question, they might feel that they like having conversations with, with the guys because women are used to women. We know, like, I almost know what my, my friends, you know, are going to think or say or colleagues are going to think or say because we're women. So maybe it's that, that opposite, um, like I said before. I enjoy my male clients because their perspective is different than mine because I, I can't be a man. They can't be a woman, right? So I, I think that uh, the opposites attract kind of philosophy. Um, that's that's how I see it. So I, I think it's adorable that, I don't know, should I say adorable to an exec, but you're, it's adorable <laughs> that you prefer those conversations with women being robust. And I think that maybe when I get into conversations with men, I feel like I learn a lot because of the different perspectives. So I think we're saying the same thing. But again, I we are. yeah, I heard that women are better, Dan. So just we'll... <laughs> Well, one thing I know for sure, I'm having a really fun time with this interview. Way better than I even imagined it was going to be. Oh, I'm so glad. We have fun on my show because here's the other thing. If you take yourself too seriously, wow, life becomes really boring, right? And, And the other thing, when you said that the wealth management team are more kind of touchy-feely, fuzzy. I think the word used, used was fuzzy. And yeah. I, I agree. And I think through my banking career, when I ended up in wealth, that was the end of my banking career before I started my business. Okay. I loved it. I loved sitting at the table. Um, people had wealth, certainly, but really trying to understand because they built that. Like, wow. And, you know, I was, of course, younger at that time. I was in my 30s. So to meet with people who had amassed this beautiful wealth through hard work or building a business, and that fascinated me. Isn't that interesting mm-hmm. that ultimately I became a business owner? But that um, intimacy, and I don't mean that in a weird way, I loved it. I love yeah. they were they were my kind of clients because of that level of um, mutual respect. I think felt really nice. Yeah, and I mean a lot of our our clients share their innermost secrets oh. and fears, and and it's you know of course it's all confidential, but they share things they don't share with other people. Sometimes even their family members. Yes, and, and um, so it's it is a very intimate relationship in in many cases. So yeah, um, it's inspiring also to see how people live their life. 
most coming from nothing oftentimes Mm -hmm. and amassing this. It's again, another layer of sea observation and learning for me to hear those stories and think that's so inspiring. It, it, right, increases the passion you have for what you're doing. So I I loved, I loved my wealth management stint. Um, yeah. So I, I totally feel you. Now, guys, we're out of time, but listen, number one, if you have, if you are a leader out there and you are inspired by uh, Dan's story today and some of his, I think, just way of uh, approaching things, please reach out to him. It is okay if I give your email, correct, Dan? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Please reach out. It's D Savage, S A V A G E, at S Sam B Boy C Connie. P Piper, so SBCP dot bank. Um, and I, I think he's a wealth of information. And, um, you know, I hope that he's inspired you to become just the best leader that you can be and empower people and teach. We have to always remember to teach and educate um, our, our team so that they grow. If you'd like more information specifically about Dan, his business um, and the bank, if you're out in that neck of the woods, although I feel like we're so global now that if anybody needs any type of uh, wealth management, please uh, check out the bank. It's uh, www.sbcp.bank. I will put all of this information in the show notes so you folks can um, easily find it. uh, No worries. And be able to connect with Dan. If you need more Connie in your life, which I hope you always do, please go to my website at WhitmanAssoc.com. W-H-I-T-M-A-N-A-S-S-O-C also will be in the show notes ton of free resources on there. My master classes are on there. My number one best-selling book is on there and a whole bunch of free downloads for you guys um, to help you navigate whatever sales change business that you're going through. Um, Dan, thank you again for being on. This was really a fun episode and I learned, I learned so much and I truly appreciate your time. Well, I learned a lot, too, and I had fun. Thank you so much. Awesome, awesome. And you guys, I hope you will join me weekly as we question, build, and discover together how heart-centered sales can easily help you grow, allowing you to embrace that word sales and realize that shifting your mindset to be that heart-centered professional is possible. And guess what? It's easier than you think, and the results are mind-blowing. Um, thank you for tuning in to Heart, the Heart-Centered Sales Leader podcast with me, your Heart-Centered Sales Leader and host, Connie Whitman, on webtalkradio.net. I wish you all just a wonderful week, uh, an inspired week, where you open your mind to the client relationships that are possible as you become the Heart-Centered Sales Leader you're destined to be. I'm excited and honored to have you on this journey with me, um, and I'll see you guys next week. Thanks so much, and thank you, Dan. You've been listening to the Heart-Centered Sales Leader Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to hear Connie Whitman and her expert guests share tips, tools, and strategies that can be implemented immediately. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review and share it with your friends. Tune in every week for more exciting insights and strategies on increasing your business's ROI. And always remember, lead with heart and your sales will follow.